nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I will be your host for today. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions, believe it or not, is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. We've been working with nonprofits for over 10 years. Uh, it's, you know, we, we work with nonprofits that are typically under $5 million in size and over $100,000 a year. And uh, it's a great product that people really, really love. I'm really proud that we offer it. And uh, it really helps people with a lot of cash flow issues. If you're interested, uh, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com and you can learn more about the, the program. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Candace Gottlieb Clark from Dynamic Team Solutions. And today's topic that we're going to be covering is to find, fix, fill your nonprofit's leadership gap. Candace Gottlieb Clark is a renowned business advisor, author, speaker, coach, and conflict management specialist. She founded Dynamic Team Solutions to help businesses strengthen their leaders and teams through enhanced communication, teamwork, leadership, and conflict management. Candace holds a master's degree in counseling and is a board-certified executive coach. She is a sought-after speaker and writer on topics including leadership, communication, and team dynamics, and she does work with both nonprofits and businesses together. Candace, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. So great to meet you today and to be joining your wonderful podcast and your audience. Thank you. I think this is like I think this is podcast number one hundred and two or something like that. So we've been doing it for four years. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is it's really popular. It's really good. I bring great guests on like you, Candace. So uh, you know we're really excited to get into the idea of leadership and and. Let me ask you to start off the, the gate. Do you think leadership at a nonprofit is different than leadership at a business? At a for-profit business, for example? Yes. I tend to think that you're going to attract different people uh, in each one. There might be a drive to do more service in many organizations that are nonprofit, uh, and the leadership will reflect that. But I think at the same time, uh, and, and in that sense, there'll be more maybe mission-driven uh, individuals in a nonprofit. But I think at the same time, the qualities of leadership are going to be fairly consistent between yeah. both those two animals. I think it's more just yeah. what is maybe the core value system might be a bit different. Yeah. Like when you get engagements for with nonprofit organizations, what... And what are they typically like when it's when it falls into like the leadership category? What is what is the executive director or the board president? What are they trying to accomplish when they bring someone like you on board? Uh, typically, they bring us on board because there's something of and I you know the word is such an unkind word, but something dysfunction. Uh, a level of dysfunction or, you know, lack of collaboration. Occasionally we are also brought on just simply because people say, Hey, we're good, but we could be better. But most of the time there's something where there's a sore spot, there's an injury, there's a pain point of dysfunction. And that usually can come from, you know, highly valuable people not working to potential 
Uh, as we all know, there's sometimes those leadership potential people, but they're just somehow just not quite hitting it. Uh, and also it can be teams that are just not cooperating and collaborating in a way that's making things happen. There's some level of disruption or even a leader that is not as effective with their team as the team needs or wants. And so there might be complaints that are surfacing. It might be that they're having some retention issues that they are concerned about. It might simply be that they're not able to make motions toward the strategic initiatives that they want, but there's something that's missing and they'll seek us out for that support. So I always thought when I was, so when I started off my career for eight years, I worked for Xerox and then I, then I started my own business after that. And, uh, my, you know, I'll use, first we'll just, I'll use the word and then we'll explain it after, but my EQ was never good. So a EQ of course, for our listeners is emotional intelligence. So like, I always thought that I knew the corporate world wasn't for me. Um, and so, and I knew my, my, my weakness was my EQ, which is basically, you know, for me, it was my ability to keep my mouth shut and also to, uh, articulate things in a more professional manner. Okay. So I always thought I would bring on, I thought later as coaching became more in vogue, you know, this is, was, mm-hmm. you know, coaching has been a 15 over the last 15, 10 years, been a bigger deal than it was prior to that. I always thought, well, I'll, you know, that would have been good for me to bring on a coach. Um, and I ended up doing it for the business, my businesses anyway, for, to help me. But how, how many times has leadership been affected because of poor EQ? I think there's a degree that when leaders are struggling, there is an EQ issue at stake. It doesn't mean that they don't have good emotional intelligence on the whole. It could be, you know, as as the title of my book says, there's a gap in what they know. They have a blind spot. And very often it is in an area that is essential to their core capacities as a leader. So how do you fix poor EQ? Well, I don't I don't look at that as in and of itself, Hey, somebody has poor emotional intelligence. And and what I talk about is that there's like three pillars of leadership, three core competencies, if you will. Um, those being trust, um, and not just being honest, but being trustworthy and able to evoke trust from others in a way that expands people's ability to build and coordinate and collaborate. And I can speak more on, on this as well. Um, their role clarity, their understanding of what they really should be doing um, beyond what might be written on a job description. That's a big part of emotional intelligence that I think is missing because it isn't spelled out. A leader or potential leader may not realize where they're strong or weak in their clarity of their own role. And finally, in their areas of conflict management, um, those three pillars are in my world, a three-legged stool. If any of them is weak, the other two will most definitely be impacted and all three are essential. And so I think we could look at emotional intelligence with that concept and say, if any of those three pillars, if you have a weakness in your concept and ability to develop trust in yourself and your team, uh, in your understanding of your role or in your conflict abilities, your ability to manage conflict appropriately, that will land itself with you have poor emotional intelligence and it can be 
a small bit on all three. It could be heavily in one area. And different leaders have different areas where they're stronger, but most leaders have some weakness in one or two or all three of those areas Mm -hmm. that could be improved upon. You know, that's just been my finding. And and, um, do a survey from the employees themselves at the organization so that you you really kind of get the truth about uh, what someone need, really needs, you know, those three pillars really where you need to kind of really work closely on? Uh, I wouldn't say we've ever directly done that. It's a great idea. But most of the time when we are brought in to work with an organization, we will do an assessment of some sort in one of two ways. Either we'll do one that's more in depth and we'll interview people and we'll ask questions that'll ascertain that information. Um, Or if it's a very, very large organization and they want a broader um, concept of it, we'll do a um, more of a technologically driven assessment of how things are done, where people fill out a survey of some element. And we haven't ever calculated data to show it sort of before, after, because the after takes time to really evolve. And usually there's very a, a good degree of other impacts. We usually will talk about it in more, what are the things we're noticing that are different as a way of, of identifying progress and change. So, the, the times when you've been working as a business coach or as a consultant to help someone improve their leadership style, uh, do you has has anybody ever gone kicking and screaming into the practice? Uh, Absolutely, like, you know, this, yes. Oh, really? So what we because our our you know kind of expertise is in areas of workplace relations, I call it, but it also amounts to those concepts we've spoken about already today. A lot of times we will get called upon by a leader of an organization, be it the head of um, an executive director or a head of HR, and they'll say, hey, we have this, for lack of a better word, problem child on our staff that needs coaching. Um, Very often they are the equal, equal opportunity jerk that isn't directly impacting any particular uh, protected class, but they're just generally a pain in the butt. So there was an investigation perhaps, and it was not found to be a problem, but yes, they do recognize as an organization that they have a problem that needs attending to. So they may send that individual for coaching with our organization. So we have a, a, a wide degree of um, coaches, a large number of them on our team that work to support our clients. So they might, and those clients, yes, they are prescribed coaching. They don't go in there and saying, hey, I'd like to be better. They're told you do this or you lose your job. Wow. Right. So we don't really always, I mean, that's not all of them, but that's a good percentage. I'd say a good 30% of the coaching projects we get, it's mandated coaching. And about half of those go in there very angry and the other half very upset, <laughs> right? They're either devastated that they're doing so poorly and they want to do better, but they don't know how, or they're angry and they think everybody's wrong. They think this is uh, a travesty of justice. And that's fine. You know, regardless, our job is to meet people where they're at and let them tell their truth and their story. And then without really, I think we've had just very few exceptions to this. They can start to, in working with us, see where they could grow and they could be better at that. And it doesn't, them being poor at something doesn't make it their fault. It means they don't have the skills and Hey, that's what coaching is going to help develop is let's 
build those skills so that you can be successful. Because the reason the client, your boss, you know, the head of HR, whomever brought us in is because they see the value in you. And we want to help support all of the other qualities that you bring so that you are valuable across the board, not just kept because you're a good rainmaker or because, you know, your particular um, knowledge base is essential. You know, we want people to be, you know, valuable in the company in all realms. Oh man, I, I just, I just can't imagine that person who goes kicking and screaming into this, what they must be like to deal with both, not only for you, but for the people who are working at the organization, if they feel that this is an, of incredible value to them uh, and that the company's making an investment and they care about you, they think you're a good employee, but you know that you have some issues. I, I would be so humbled, you know, and like, oh man, I got to really improve in this area. It's, uh, are, are those the most difficult people to work with? Um, the ones that go in kicking and screaming are hardest at the beginning, but they aren't yeah. always hardest because you know, oftentimes there's something that very early on in the first or maybe the second coaching session, we can help them to see something or learn something or be aware of something that's completely out. It was in their blind spot. They had no idea. It was, you know, that part of us that we don't know, we don't know. And when you can shine some light on that, people can make change when they are aware. Yeah. And so being able to shine light on that and maybe add some guidance, some, um, Either, either learning or a different perspective or even some tools to use to manage it, they can often say, oh, wow, I actually have something to gain from this. And they come in with a very different attitude from that point forward. The ones that yeah. continue with that resistance, yes, those are the hardest. And we don't always make progress with them or at least not the progress we'd like to see. You know, we're very big on wanting a grand slam like anybody else. <laughs> and sometimes we're happy um, that, you know, a, a situation is done because we only got to first base and that wasn't far enough. It didn't feel good. And, you know, on those I mean, engagements, we will, we will always let the client know early on what progress we are or are not able to make. Wow. So, uh, how long do you think from your experience, um, how long does it typically take for somebody to make significant improvement in their leadership style? Let's go with the person that really genuinely wants to do better and is engaged in the coaching process. Okay. Um, when they're, when we do have somebody in that place and sometimes they start off again, they start off maybe resistant, not sure they need it, but regardless, they're able to say, okay, I want to take everything I can from this experience. We tend to see a reasonable amount of progress within four to six sessions of coaching it doesn't mean there's profound change and they're done, but that's enough for them to start seeing clearly their blind spots in a new light and gaining some skills. And so most of our coaching um, contracts are quarterly. We do, you know, we set up a six session uh, program to initiate it so that we can identify, are we successfully supporting this person and helping them to create real meaningful change? But then creating a trajectory that is more lasting often takes closer to a year. And so we'll continue with them to help create more structure, stability, and habit that allows those changes to be lasting. And also, you know, the 
greater benefit is that when one person changes, it's that ripple effect. And so we want to see that as a leader changes, for example, the way they're interacting with their team is changing such that that team is changing back. You know, for example, yeah, you know, one of part. my concepts of trust balances very closely with that in that as a leader, if you are demonstrating you trust your team, for example, you're forthcoming with things you don't know, you're sharing with them more information rather than less, you're encouraging them to challenge things that you might be thinking are right so that they have an opportunity to voice a concern or an interest or an idea that's contrary to your own. When you encourage that, you also make it possible for you to give that feedback for your team and them to give it to each other. You set the stage for that process to occur. And that's where real change happens is when that ripple effect becomes, you know, reverberates throughout an organization, not just one person changing, but everyone beginning to change. Why do you think like, why do you think people are not good leaders? <laughs> um, I think there are people that are promoted into leadership that shouldn't be. I think we've all mm -hmm. seen organizations where you promote incompetence. You know, you like the person and so they're not good at this job and we don't want to, you know, get rid of them. So we're going to promote them and see if they're better at being a manager. Maybe they have more leadership skills than they do worker skills, you know, and oftentimes that's where the bigger um, pitfalls occur. And, you know, I did have an organization years ago where there was somebody on the team, on the leadership team, who pretty much everyone else on the leadership team agreed wasn't maybe perfectly suited to the role, didn't really have the expertise, but they liked him and they thought he could do a good job. And so he was set up for coaching with us to add that support. But I think you set someone up to fail when you don't provide them with early training in how to be a manager and what that means. Uh, you know, most people think, oh, okay, I was really good at, you know, making these widgets. And so now I know how to make them best. I'll make everyone do it my way and that will make them best. And really there's a degree to which um, that teaching others or mentoring others is very important in a manager and a leader, but there's a degree that people don't recognize that's not their whole role. In fact, that may be a very small part of it. It's learning how to manage people, how to find the best in them, how to build them up. That is also a core competency. And I think that that's where a lot of leaders fail is they think their job, their role clarity is foggy. They think their job is to make other people do the work the way they did it, or that they need to, um, you know, prove that they're the best so people will follow them. That's not the way to do it. That's not going to build a successful team. Yeah, I was actually like, uh, that's a good answer to the question. I, uh, I was actually thinking more about um, about someone who's, you know, why is it that it's very unusual to find somebody that has incredible leadership skills even before they start their career? Mm. So like, you know, I'm going back and thinking about all the people that I've met and, and, uh, you know, I think there's only been one person at a young age, uh, that, who's the catcher on my baseball team who just seemed like a natural leader. But above that, uh, it, it, it seems that you just are not, I, you know, people think that leadership is, you know, you're born with it. And I haven't really seen that. I've seen that people develop their leadership skills and it's something you have to work at. And yeah, it might be easier for some people to pick up those skills, 
but and other people have a hard time with it. But in any way, it is a, a learned behavior. Do, do you agree? I do. Um, I, I think, and I'm going to come back to the catcher on your team in just a minute. So be ready for that. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. have a question for you. But sure. I think that what people think of as a natural leader is somebody who has charisma, who people naturally pay attention to and want to follow, that they seem to be thinking ahead. I think that that's a true piece of what people might realistically say as natural leadership skills. But I think by and large, that's just a small piece of it. And my, like I've worked for over 20 years with businesses, specifically helping them to improve that level of functionality. And I've learned what creates healthy leadership. Like I said, it's that trust, that real clarity, that ability to manage conflict. Those are not things people are necessarily born with. They do need to be taught. They do need to be mentored and supported in building those skills. And, you know, to the extent that you say that catcher on your team, you know, he's the one person you saw that. I'm very curious to hear what it is that that person showed that tells you he's a leader. Yeah, I like the three pillars that you mentioned in your book. Um, so I think, you know, I could actually use that as a format to kind of point to it and not to belabor this as long. But, you know, number one was um, he knew when to say something and he knew when not to say something. And when mm -hmm. he said something, it was he, he was very clear and, and right, right on point. Um, his, his emotional intelligence was really good. He didn't get super angry, but he didn't get super, uh, he wasn't super soft. He was, you know, very even keel. Um, and he knew what he was talking about. You know, he, he, he wouldn't, if he didn't know what he was talking about, he wouldn't say anything, you know, like, or he'd learn about it and come back or, or, you know, kind of talk to his coach uh, to, to, to kind of get educated about whatever it was that he, he thought he couldn't articulate, um, uh, in a, in a good manner. Um, he was, he didn't pick favorites, you know, the, the, the end, the end, the end of the game, the end of the result that he wanted was to win the game. Mm -hmm. And he didn't care how we got there as long as we got there. And so he didn't pick favorites. Um, so, and this is at a young age, you know, the, you know, you know, this was in high school. I, I, I happened to be on the, uh, the number one uh, baseball team in the state. And then I went on to play for college. And I mean, this team was unbelievable uh, that nine kids went on to play division one college baseball on that team. And it was an incredible experience. And, um, you know, and the, the last thing I would say too, and this wasn't, him his name is kevin this wasn't kevin uh his thing but uh my coach at the time he made sure that he picked kids on the team who uh were all good kids and they didn't uh they they weren't problem children mm -hmm. and there were kids who were better players that he cut because he thought their attitudes were bad. And so we had a team of not only incredible players, but also kids who were really nice, really good kids to each other. They weren't mean, uh, competitive. Yes, but not mean. So that's kind of a, you know, like that was one of the kids that I think back, I was like, wow, he, 
he was a good leader. And as you say that, I'll tell you some of the thoughts that went through my mind. It's it, it's the parable almost for a, a business, right? Because the coach, not your catcher, but the coach only kept the best people who also worked the best with each other. He wasn't looking for the one rock star that left everybody else frustrated and irritable. He knew that doesn't build a good team. And the same is true in an organization, right? He fostered good leadership in others. And one person, as is often the case, had some natural tendencies, as you described, as Kevin had, that he knew when to speak and when not to speak. He just could understand you guys what to communicate. Okay? He could understand what to communicate and what to leave unsaid. Work downstairs. Yeah. Family things. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's uh, the my multitasking of life. just came in. Uh, I'm working out of my house today. So okay. I, I apologize for that. No, but I um, think that what you were describing is a perfect, uh, you know, it's a perfect parable for what we're talking about. A great analogy of you need a team of people that are all working together and it makes anyone else's skills better. The Kevin in a lot of organizations is the first person to s- send in their resignation when there's an all-star person on the team who makes everybody miserable. That's what we see. The people that leave are the ones that are the best that know they can find another home without much struggle because they know their own competencies. They know what they bring to the table. They have the confidence and the skills to back it up and they aren't going to put up with the unpleasant people. And it sounds like your coach for your team knew this and that's how he retained such a strong team. Yeah, even when I was articulating, you know, Kevin, I could see the parallels on great. I never thought about it. You know, I never thought of it in detail. Um, And even as I was articulating it to you, I could kind of see as I was going along, oh, that's a good leadership principle. Oh, that's a good leadership. Building a team, (laughs) everyone gets along, along, you know, uh, you know, so on a good EQ, you know you know, I could tell as I was going I'd, along, you I'd know, love to, like, I was going to say, I'd love to bring up something in, um, the book I wrote, I used three stories of real, real uh, clients of ours that I supported through different transitions. And one of them sort of has the skills of your coach in that he brought on great players, like rock stars. He recruited every one of them and every one of them was independently strong. And he had this belief that when you bring on the best people, you give them autonomy, you step back, you let them do their job. You don't step in and micromanage. And things fell to pieces because there was issues, there was conflict he did not manage. There was influence from the board he did not step in front of and stop it. There was problems between team members he didn't get in the middle of and say, here's how we're going to manage it. He was conflict avoidant. That was one of his biggest weaknesses. And he didn't recognize a role clarity issue, which is that His job is to make it such that everybody can work effectively. And if there are people that are influencing and interfering with your work and decreasing your effectiveness and you're a rock star, you're frustrated, you're angry, and it's going to show. Yeah. You know, I, between my second and third company that I built, uh, Mm -hmm. I, the second company I had, I, I, I felt like I, uh, didn't hire a good team like and so when I started the third company I said my number one priority is going to be the higher better Mm -hmm. and so I really worked hard at 
making sure that I did all the right steps, having good job descriptions, interviewing for cultural fit, uh, having a big pool of candidates, mm -hmm. uh, hiring people I, I, I personally liked, right? Uh, it, it was all of these things. And I, you know, I, I, and the, the, listen, this just didn't come to me. I read a lot of books about it mm -hmm. and I think leadership is that way. You, you have to really kind of focus on it. And I found over, you know, leadership skills for me really got better after focusing it on and on it for two to three years and, you know, reading books and going to some classes and having a coach and, you know, that really helped. But coming back to the point about hiring this, the third company I, I had uh, was uh, was so much fun for me to work at. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, I always hired people like really paying attention to it. And I said, is I'm really going to focus my effort on making sure that I bring on the right people and I'm going to get rid of people if I had made a bad decision quickly. And I, let me tell you something, uh, it, it, uh, it made a huge difference in our, our, you know, performance. It made a huge difference on me liking going to work, mm -hmm. you know, and I improved myself too. I, you know, really worked on being not only a great, a better leader, but also a better manager. And, uh, you know, that's hard leading and managing are, are, are I think in some regards, you know, very different and very challenging to do them both good. Absolutely. You have to, they're very different hats. One of them is, you know, looking ahead, choosing the, the future and the path and making sure it's possible. And the other was helping to bring the team to a place of readiness that they can be on that path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I found changing the, changing the, uh, being able to change during the day from a leadership hat to a managing hat was challenging. Uh, you know, uh, it, because, you know, I, I did it a lot. Of, if I could bucket my time, which I'm good at, I did that well. But I actually found when I got into my leadership role, which is more strategic thinking, I, I had to get out of the office, you know, to do that part of it. Um, and then when I was in the office, I was like, okay, my leadership hat, unless I was in a meeting or something like that, was is off. And now I got to be managing people because I didn't, I, you know, a lot of, and even a lot of our listeners, they're, they're running small operations where they don't have a director of staff or, you know, that they have multiple roles at the nonprofit. And, mm -hmm. and you should all know, I think that that's really challenging. I mean, do you agree with that, Candace? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I think an essential part because any leader, even at the highest echelon of a for-profit private company is going to have people that report to them. Even if they're senior, senior executives themselves, there are people that report to them. We all have that kind of that terracing of our businesses. And I think what's really important is to recognize they are very different hats, just as you did and not trying to always you know, recognizing you do need to bucket your time. You do need to split out when you're focused on one and the other so that you're giving people a hundred percent. You're not showing up as visionary when you're working with your team. Yep. It's great to really inspire people with the vision, 
but then you have to be in a place of managing them. And here is what I need you to do. And please tell me if this isn't going to work, if I'm not creating the right plan, or maybe in the more, you know, established organizations to say, tell me how we're going to get there, because this is the vision I have. And encourage people to be a part of that visioning and, and making it the reality before it's decided upon. And I think leaders who can do that have a much better chance of having a team that's going to follow them, that's going to succeed and going to allow them to choose that next place that they want to reach. You know, it's crazy. It's not really rocket science. <laughs> it really isn't, right? It's, this is not, you know, you just need to be aware uh, of uh, the, what a good leader is, what you're, what, what you're doing, you know, you know, how, you know, mistakes you make, how you could do a better job. It's really not rocket science. At least it wasn't for me. I would, you know what? I would say yes and no to that. Oh. I'd say it's not rocket science in that it's not numbers and perfect and analytical because each and every one of us is so unique that what's going to work really great to motivate someone is going to fall flat with the next person or create yeah. actually friction. And so it, it is actually more complicated than rocket science. When you look at it that way, you have to have an, a personality as a leader that you can lead people that have different push buttons than each other and then you and know how to still inspire and motivate and support those people. And so I think yeah, that's I think where you I come back more. to that you're emotional, right. the emotional intelligence yeah. piece. Yeah, and that's right. why I think, I think I meant, yeah, I think I meant more. You're right. I meant more um, to make some improvements in the early on. I think to be like, to go from the good leader, leader to a great leader, Mm -hmm. that is a lot, a lot of work, you know, that's really, that is more rocket science because, uh, you know, you would then have to get to a point where, you know, every, depending on the uh, people are all different. So there may be the style of leadership you use for one person is different for the next. And so you have to be able to be sometimes adaptive, mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess I never reached that level. You know, yeah. um, but uh, but, you know, this is my last question for you for, for today's podcast, which has been really great and illuminating. Um, if you see, we have a, we have our listeners on here right now. If, if they say, you know what, I, I buy into what Candace is saying. Uh, w what should I do right now to improve? Uh, what would you suggest? Well, you know, I want people to be self-reflective and just recognize, okay, you're not good at everything. I've just brought up what these three pillars are. You know, I, I strongly recommend people check out my book so they can get much more information because I not only tell them um, what to do, but what not to do, which is something very few leadership books offer. And it's very concrete. It's stuff that can be applied same day. You don't have to, you don't have to go to grad school to get a new you know, an MBA to learn what I'm talking about. But I think what really is important is for them to be reflective and to say, okay, do I have a perfect team? If I don't, okay, that means it's on me because your team is a reflection of you as a leader. And it may be that you have the, the wrong people, but then that's a part of that managing conflict and knowing your role and getting rid of, as you say, you have people that don't fit. So it's, it's really being willing to start by being self-reflective. Can I improve in these? And, you know, what are the first steps I should take? I'm going to say, grab my book, 
It should be the first leadership book you read. It should be the last leadership book you read because you should be re- refreshing your mind. I'm going to put it up on the screen for a half second here. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of it right there? It's Find, oh, Fix, it Fill. It is the name of our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Find, Fix, Fill, Your Leadership Gap, What You Need to Know and No One is Telling You. And the reason no one is telling you is because nobody on your team is ever going to want to put themselves on the chopping block by telling you where you're failing. And very often they may not even know where you're failing. They just know they're not happy with you or they're not inspired by you or whatever else. So, you know, I I'd say, you know, developing leaders, this is super important. So, you know, your MBA students, this is a great learning point of what it is you can use to grow. And I think being open to the fact that you're not perfect, you're going to be able to get better and be open to doing that. Because you and I both still read leadership books, and there's a reason. We know we're not perfect. We know we can grow. And being humble enough to recognize that and drink in new information is how we get better. Good stuff. The book, we get it at your website or is it Amazon? Um, It is available through Amazon. And you can also, if you go to um, my website, I have both an author website and a company website. The company website should redirect you to the author one as well. So dynamicteamsolutions.org. And on the bottom of each page should be a link that will let you download two free chapters of the book. So you can get a sense of whether or not it's the right book for you. And I hope and encourage people to check it out and see if it is the perfect book to help them improve their leadership. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank so very much Candace Gottlieb-Clark from Dynamic Team Solutions for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please do me a favor. Give us a review, a good review on your podcasting app. It really helps us get the word out. It's one of the main ways that um, the the, uh, podcasting apps rank uh, who should come up first when you type in something like a nonprofit. And, uh, you know, we've become very, very popular and we'd like to continue that. Of course, I think our guests are great. Um, and if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you could call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, it's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Candice, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Um, please, uh, you know, contact us through my website. We have a contact us page. Again, the uh, website is dynamicteamsolutions.org. Good. And, uh, you know, I want to thank all our listeners out there. Um, you guys are out there every day doing all the hard work and making the world a better place. I personally thank you for that. I'm sure Candace does as well. Uh, Candace and I have our part to do to make the world a better place. Uh, you know, I advise everybody to be more compassionate toward each other. We all are going through our own problems in life. And if we can be more understanding, like you, our listeners are, I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, so everybody have a fantastic day. Get out there. It's springtime. The weather's nicer. First step in leadership. It's got to be take care of yourself first. So everybody have a fantastic day. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. 